as we go into this next season, starting kind of July 4th, we'll have our party. But the, the next six weeks are, are times where a lot of people are traveling. So I just encourage you, this morning, the Sunday mornings are run a lot by volunteers. And so if you see something that needs to be done, please step up. So we have Ryan in the back on the video, but you have a wingman who's, who is Chase Poole. So Chase stepped up. So he's, he's a watching today, but next week he'll do it. And Ike is back there on the sound as well. That kind of thing that Chase is doing is kind of what we need. Some people stepping up um, into different things. And uh, that we want to try to build on the momentum that we have. We're coming out of COVID. So some more people are coming back. But we're pretty much looking at a church of this size, which is awesome. I would love to spend many, many years getting to know you guys and walking in faith. Um, we continue to have interest in the building, so there's no reason to give up uh, on that. There's just continued interest. It's good for us to start to figure out how to fit into a smaller space because if we are transitioning, it'll probably be a smaller space. So some creativity that you see over here with kind of the way we're setting it up, we may try that over there, lose some of the chairs. But I just want to encourage you, our focus in coming together is, is to worship like we just did, um, to focus on the scripture, to learn something, and then to get to know each other and encourage each other as we walk in our faith. So um, we are, Ryan, if you don't mind putting the slides up of the scripture, Lucas is going to come up and read um, these. And this is why we're doing it. Uh, we, it would be awesome, and, and this might be too long today, so if some of you say that was too much, that's fine. Um, you can let me know. But the idea is this. We generally read during one of the Psalms uh, during the worship time. That's what you guys did with Emma. And uh, ideally, it would be nice to take an Old Testament passage and then one of the Gospels and then one of Paul's letters and at least touch on it or not just Paul, say First Peter or something like that, to give us a perspective of the scriptures. There's a good chance many of you are learned out here and may be better educated on the passage than I am on what I'm about to share. But at least with the scripture before you, you can meditate on it. And then just like these songs that we tend to sing, some of us, I know I do, God is good will be in my head for the rest of the week. Maybe these scriptures will be because it's the scripture and the Holy Spirit that teaches and we want to put that before you. We're putting the food on the table, inviting you to eat. So this is uh, what we're starting with. And the theme over all of this is uh, I have a friend of mine who lives in Ireland. And his idea of being Jesus is not just trying to get people to come to church, but to go out into the pubs. He's a really good musician. Imagine Lucas going out into the pubs and playing traditional Irish music. And you're allowed to say something. You're not allowed to preach or anything like that. But he's so good that he can say one sentence. And all he said was, when it was his turn to play, was, we have a boss. And then he chose to play Amazing Grace in the pub. But the concept that we have a Lord is the concept of today. And then not just that we have a Lord, but we have a good Lord. You guys have all had bosses and you've also had some not-so-good bosses, and you probably had some good bosses. We have a good boss. So that's the theme. So we're going to look at how in the Old Testament, we're going to look a little bit. Um, this is hundreds of years before Jesus. And we're going to look at how God interacted with people there. And then um, the next one is Paul. And Paul is teaching a couple decades after Jesus left. And so, as you'll remember, many of the disciples expected Jesus to, to pretty much knock out the Roman Empire. 
Well, the Roman Empire was still very much in charge a couple decades later. And so Paul's instructions are just how you live with that. Again, recognizing there, there is um, a boss there uh, and as a backdrop to look at the Lord. And then finally, where we'll spend most of our time is we'll look at one of the stories from the Gospel of Luke. So that's how we'll be going. And then we'll just, if you want to follow along, why don't we read that Jeremiah passage, Lucas? So Jeremiah 11, 4b through 8, it says, Obey my voice and do according to all that I command you. So shall you be my people and I will be your God, that I may establish the oath which I have sworn to your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey as it is this day. And I answered and said, So be it, Lord. Then the Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, saying, Hear the words of this covenant and do them. For I earnestly exhorted your fathers in the day I brought them up out of the land of Egypt until this day, rising early and exhorting, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone followed the dictates of his evil heart. Therefore, will I bring upon them all the words of this covenant which I commanded them to do, but which they have not done. All right, let's pause there, Lucas. So imagine being Jesus in his little synagogue in Nazareth. There's a good chance he heard this very passage. And um, they had already blown it by that point. These promises of a land flowing with milk and honey, they, they had that. They had King David. They had Solomon. They had already blown it hundreds of years ago. The reality that Jesus looked at was not the land flowing in milk and, with milk and honey. So what would that have been like for Jesus and his family to hear this situation knowing that it had already been blown? Okay, we'll go on to Romans. So Romans 13, 7 through 10, Paul writes, Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you should not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. All right, so imagine you are in someone's house. It's couple decades after Jesus left and you're dealing with the realities of being a Christian in potentially a town that's unfriendly to Christians. People won't shop at your store. Um, people are not uh, respecting you. They may be outright persecuting you. And think of, people could read, the scriptures were written in the Old Testament, but mostly when they gathered, they gathered and listened. So Jesus would have listened to that word, and these people in this house church would have listened to that letter and processed, um, you know, what that meant for them. And then let's move to Luke 9. 
So Luke 9, 51 through 62 says, Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Thank you, Lucas. Lord, I pray you guide us as we talk through the scripture and that um, your spirit would illuminate it and that you would speak to each person here. I ask that you would move. Lord, help us to live our lives according to this truth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so now we're going to talk about those. And we're mainly going to talk about Luke, but Ryan, do you mind putting the Jeremiah passage back up? You can look at that some as, um, as when I'm talking a little bit. Um. All right, so a couple ideas here. One, this is Old Testament, okay? So this is hundreds of years before Jesus and, and a long time before us. Um, we're not a couple points in there. You get a good look at who God is by watching how he interacts. If you want to know somebody, visit them in their house and see how they are with their children or see how they keep their house or see how they set up their lives. That tells you a lot about who a person is. And so we get this unique glimpse to look back and see when God set apart the nation of Israel, we get to see how he did it. And it's not us. It's not our story. But it is a way to see who God is. And the way he set this up was that they were to have this land and this concept was in there that obedience led to blessing and disobedience led to punishment. And it's not the same system now. I mean, a couple things I want to point out. One is, like I said, we're not the nation of Israel. We're not under that old um, covenant. I'm, we're not going to be sacrificing my sheep next week here, okay? So I'm not saying we're under that. But I am saying there's a lot we can learn from who God is by the way he set that up. Um, the other perspective is when we jump into Jeremiah, and I've shared this story before, but we need to know it, and I, I think it would be a good one for the kids to particularly know, because we jump into some of the Old Testament prophets. When they're there, I mean, this is real rough timeline, but, you know, the height of the nation of Israel is when King David is there. Say maybe, I mean, there would be arguments about it, but let's just say for simple math, a thousand years before Jesus. That's the highlight of, of Israel. You know, by the time they get taken captive, a couple hundred, I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of troops as you read what David has. By the time they get taken captive, it's a, it's a couple thousand. So it greatly diminishes. And by the time Jesus is living in Nazareth, it is just a, a not even a like fraction of what it was in David's time. And one, And when these prophets come in, they're in a couple hundred year time as... Um, Israel is sliding down this thing of, from obedience to disobedience, and the punishments are starting. So if you look at, say, um, we're not going to turn there, but Deuteronomy 28, you'll see that he just says, if you obey, your flocks will increase and your families will be blessed. I mean, real basic things. And then if you disobey, 
production's going to decrease. Um, you'll lose your house, your family, maybe even your oxen, and eventually you'll get kicked out of the land. The prophets are coming and talking during that time when they are sliding down that. So the story I tell is imagine um, you saw us and, and you want, you know, oh, they seem like nice people, Brian and Kirsten, and I want to go stay with them. I'm a college student. And you get there, and this would have been when our kids were a little bit younger. You notice that um, one of our kids just puts a little marker on the wall, like a mark. And I, like, freak out. Like, that's it. Up to your room. No food till morning. If you just walked in on that moment, you would think, okay, this guy has some control issues. He is not the laid-back guy that I saw at church. And she's a little worked up, too. So I don't know about these people. Now, imagine a different scenario, that you're there for two months before this happened. And in the two months before, uh, it starts with a marker on the wall. And I say, and then he does another one and say, oh. And he does another one the next day. And I'm like, well, please don't do that. And he keeps going, marking up the wall. And eventually I say, if you do that again, I'm taking the marker away. He does it. Next, he's got blue. He keeps going. I'm like, oh, if you do it again, we're like 15 days into it. It's time out for an hour. You know, and you watch me like day after day. He has marked up the entire house. And now, 60 days later, we're over to the corner, and he does that marker. And I say, that's it. Up to your room. No food till the morning. All that changed was when you walked in on the scene. And so if you would have thought I was like a control freak, if you walked in on that, you would have think, thank God. If I were that kid's parent, I would have done that 60 days ago or 30 or whatever. All that changed was when you walked in on the scene. When almost whenever we walk in on the prophets, the Israelites have marked up most of the house at this point. They're over here. So when we judge God, we got to understand when we're walking in the room. And we are walking in the room at some of the last of the markers. So that's, what, that's what's going on in Jeremiah. The other thing is just you get a perspective that um, God really wants to bless people in a real place. He's, he likes material. He likes this earth, and he wants to bless people on it. And what he was doing with the nation of Israel was a unique expression of that. And he still wants to do that. And in the invitation as Jesus followers to be in the new heaven and new earth, there will be material aspects of that. That's part of who God is. He wants to bless them there. But if you can't obey, you can't stay. That was the message of the Old Testament. You just can't. Um, many of you know that we do Kiram House. That We brought thousands of teenagers down to our place in the slums of Mexico. And we'll, we have a couple teams coming next month. We'll be doing it again. And I'm pretty laid back about the rules. But there's a few that we just can't have them break because we're not in America. And um, occasionally, I have had to say, look, you can't stay if you can't follow this rule. And I've actually had it where I had to send them home early. Well, we did a ton of work to make this place where teenagers could come and get to know the Lord. But I've literally taken them to the border and said, you got to go. Because they had no intention of following what um, we were having them do. And they were doing things that were threatening the livelihood of the ministry and the, and the people that were there. So they, they had to go. If you think, and I couldn't find, someone could tell me whose quote this is, but um, when we look at hell, 
Uh, there's a quote that says, I, I'm guessing C.S. Lewis on this one, but it says, many people want to keep God as far away from them as possible. Hell is just God giving them their wish. Like that's, that's what he can do for you. If you don't want to recognize that God's your good boss, you're an eternal being. So if you don't want God to be in charge of you, you're not going to like heaven. You won't. Here he's hidden, and you can pretend like he's not there. It's not going to be so hidden in heaven. So someone who doesn't want to follow Jesus might not actually like it. There's a phrase in there, too, that says um, in the Jeremiah passage, everyone followed the dictates of their own evil heart. And you guys have probably all seen it. Um, you know, as I said, I didn't become a believer till I was 20, but I saw that um, in the fraternities um, with friends really following the dictates of their evil heart, and I saw where it got them. So it really does happen. When we, um, the thing that we also want to look at, you know, let's go to the Romans passage, and we won't spend a lot of time here because I want to move to the Luke passage. But the idea here is um, we're, we're under a government. You know, we are as well. And during COVID, we saw that maybe a little bit more, that we do, you know, live under a government. And it was just, it was a unique opportunity for us to work through some of our understanding of what it means to, to deal with that. And if you are, um, you know, these Christians would have been a couple decades after Jesus. The early apostles were hoping they didn't have to deal with this, like living under the Roman government. But they did, and their kids did. And so just understanding how we as Jesus followers walk through this is really important. We are supposed to give taxes to whom taxes are due, respect to whom respect are due. Kirsten and I will be along the border, um, and we'll be dealing with two governments often within five minutes of each other as we cross back and forth. We've got to respect um, the powers that be. But what, um, but what he's talking about is there's a higher thing, and that is love. And so we're supposed to not do it's the same kind of Ten Commandment thing. That, those Ten Commandments, are, you could do those, and if you didn't care about God at all, it would still be a nice neighborhood. Like if people did these things... It would, it would make for a nice neighborhood. So this is just good advice for how a society was run. And, and we get to celebrate next week. In a lot of ways, these principles are in our society. Thank God they're in it. And we need to celebrate the Ten Commandments are a core backdrop to our judicial system. It's wonderful. It's amazing. And it, it wasn't always that way in the world. But it, there's also a minimum requirement. So um, I'm not supposed to steal from my neighbor, but I am supposed to love my neighbor. So what that means is a couple in the wintertime, my neighbor was away. And I was out getting firewood. We have a wood stove. I was ready to go to bed, but if you don't load up the stove, it gets cold and you don't have anything. So I was going back and forth. Every time I went out, I heard his hound dog barking. Now his hound dog barks, you know, not often, but enough that I recognize it. But his barking was different. And I thought... I've got to go over there and figure out what's going on because it was 1030 at night. He wasn't home and his dog was making unusual noise. Did I have to do that? I could have just closed the door and gone to bed but, and nothing was going on. But years ago, we had gone down there and someone had broken in and was still in the house when his grandmother was there on the floor from the guy breaking in. So I have gone down to that house and stepped in. That's loving your neighbor, not just, eh, I'm not going to steal from him but I'm going to bed. There's above and beyond, and we have an awesome neighborhood where we live because people generally do that. 
they go above and beyond and try to think what's best for the other person. So um, that's the invitation from Paul. Understand those, stay on those rails, but we're not limited to that. The rails will keep you from messing things up, but, but you can, as a Jesus follower, you're not limited to them. There's no limit on the good we can do to people, for people. There's no limit. So keep that in mind, and that's our invitation. Now we're going to turn to the Luke passage. This, one, uh, this one's more the one we're going to try to draw some principles out, and I'll do it verse by verse. So um, it talks about how it says, Now it came to pass, uh, when the time had come for him to re- be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. That, um, that's one of the phrases in Greek, it set his face. And I, I use the New King James Version. It's not the, I'm not saying everyone needs to, that's just the one I use. And they pick up uh, that phrase. Some of your other uh, versions won't have that phrase. They'll put another one in. But the idea of set his face, his face comes up three times in this. And he was to be lifted up. Now, it could have been lifted up on the cross, but I think it has more to do with his ascension. So Jesus was setting his face towards that. And let's just think about when you're setting your face towards something. I can think about when we get ready to go to Mexico, and it's the last 48 hours, and I'm closing up the farm, and I'm trying to make sure the car's working in Mexico, and the water's filling. My face is set towards Mexico. If you come to our farm and want to have a deep discussion, you'll notice I am just, I'm happy to see you, but I'm, my face is set. I'm, I'm there, but I'm, I'm really where I'm going. So the face is set is a good phrase for us to think about. And not just, um, his, his face was set on following through with obeying the Lord. So just by word of example, uh, if, you, if someone were to say to you, oh, that's Brian, his face is set toward... What would they say about you? Oh, that's my dad. His face is set toward what? What would they say about us? Would they say, oh, his face is set towards obeying the Lord? Or would they say his face is set towards something else? We've got to keep aligning ourselves, and Jesus is our example. But what would your face be set towards? And then then he sends messengers before his face. That's there again. That's a phrase... When we read the scriptures, we need to be aware that there's different figures of speech. And we have figures of speech, too. Like if we have somebody that's, um, you know, surprise party, and everyone, this person doesn't know it, and you're there, and then you say, hey, Joe, are you coming tomorrow night? We'll say a phrase like, oh, you let the cat out of the bag. Try to translate that to another language. You're like, what? We've got like the cat got your tongue. We got these people, Americans like cats. But there are phrases that we have. Um, the Mexicans have phrases too. We were at a restaurant, some of us together, and they were doing this sort of instead of having a waiter, they were having uh, a team of waiters watching out for you. But in the end, that didn't work so well because like our water wasn't filled and the service wasn't very good because it, everyone was taking care of us, but no one was sometimes. A Mexican would walk in and say, you know what they got to do here? They got to put every monkey to his vine. What did that mean? Assign tables to the, everybody, monkey to his vine, and they know where they're supposed to be. And they're not getting in other people's work. And they're not confused about where they're supposed to be. So they have phrases too, and it's worth learning that um, in, when we study the New Testament and the Old Testament, let's learn their phrases and unpack them. So before his face, that meant he recognized, they represented Jesus. 
Your face was who you were. So he sends messengers as Jesus himself to go set things up. That's who they represent. And um, the verse says they didn't receive him. And again, it says um, because their face was, his face was set towards Jerusalem. These are the Samaritans. How did the Samaritans get there? They got there back in that Jeremiah passage. You remember how I said that God um, sets up the nation of Israel and they're welcome to stay there uh, as long as they obey? But the string of punishment starts with very minor decreases in production and ends up with them getting kicked out of the land. Well, 700 years before Jesus, the people who, the area of Samaria, they get kicked out of the land. And that's why the Samaritans are there. They're kind of a mixed breed of people. Had the people in Jeremiah's day listened and obeyed the Lord, Samaria wouldn't have been there as it was. So you have this tension between the Samaritans and the Jews because of all the history behind it. And the group that's there are not the ardent followers of the Lord. And so there's some tension even just between them. And they may not want them passing through. So there was a little tension. They pass them through. So then, um, and then it says that this, I love this about James and John. They're like, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and consume them? as Elijah did. I mean, they're really buying into this. Uh, you know, they're going to be able to have the power, God's power. And that's how they want to do it. They want to zap them. And so what they're referring, it's, it, sounds, it sounds a little intense. I don't know if you want to hang out with those guys with firearms presence, but they're really, like, enthusiastic. And, uh, and they're saying as Elijah did, and, and some of you guys may know this story, that Elijah has a situation where he's up on a hill, he's made a prophecy, the king doesn't like it, and the king sends a captain and 50 soldiers to get him, and, and, and Elijah says something like, if I am a man of God, let these soldiers be consumed by fire. Boom, fire drops down, consumes them all. Another captain comes, same thing. Boom, fire falls and consumes them all. The next guy comes, the captain's like begging Elijah, please don't do that. Well, he says, if I am a man of God, let fire come down. Well, we have elders here. We like to know that they're men of God. Imagine the same litmus test. Like, you know, like if you're a man of God, let fire come down and consume something, you know, hopefully not people. But um, I thought about that with my ordination committee years ago. You know, it's like if all these testing, if, if, all right, if you're really a man of God, boom, fire come down and burn everybody up, and I'd be the only one there at the table. Um, but there's this sense of the power of God, I like their enthusiasm, and Jesus just rebukes them. And he says, um, he says look, you, you don't know what manner of person you are. The Son of Man, he came to, to save my, man's lives, not to destroy them. And you can have a view of God if you're just looking at the Jeremiah passage, if you're just looking at some of the don'ts, you know, that the Scripture says that somehow God is mad at humans all the time. That's all he sees, and he just wants to punish us. And you may get away for, from it for a couple years, but eventually you'll get it. That's not the view of the good God. He does hate sin, and, and he, we, we will go through that um, when we stand before him. I am not saying that he doesn't, you know, say that sin is, is, a, is an awful thing and the reason he died on the cross. That's not what I'm saying. But when you look at his interaction with people, his desire is to bring us life. And he is not, you know, I remember hearing one 
kid uh, ask, why do dads have kids? And one guy's like, so someone would tell someone to take the trash out. It's like, kids, know that we didn't have you just to yell at you. That's not it. I wasn't saying, oh, I need someone to yell at, and there's a cute girl, and maybe we'll get married, and then I have to wait, but then I'll have someone to yell at and tell them to do stuff. That was not our point. Um, that's not why God created this world. He wanted to create us so that we could live in the fullness of the world that he wants. But there are ways that he says we need to live if we want to live that life. So the invitation of following a good Lord is, is just to step into it. Step into it with worship. Step into it with the scripture. And step into it with one another. You know, share about how following Jesus has really been a good experience for you today. Why would you be able to say God is good? 